I'd like to introduce Kim Nowland to you. She was the speaker at the women's event. We have known her for way too many decades, I've just been reminded. And uh, she's a pastor at our uh, mother church, the, uh, I almost said the Coastlands, uh, Valley Life Center in Santa Clara. And uh, she has faithfully been serving there for decades as well, seeing God do wonderful things. And uh, she's here today to share a story because she has gone through some difficult times. And she has not just survived. Surviving is okay. Thriving is God's promise for us. Amen. Do you guys agree? Yeah. And, and with that understanding, we can walk in triumphal procession and experience the victory that God has for us. And it's amazing to see the victory that Kim is walking in. I think you're going to really appreciate it. Can you welcome Kim Nowlin? Well, good morning. Good morning. morning. Yes, we have known each other a long time. It's not decades. It's like two decades. He makes it sound like I'm 100. Known you for decades. It's like, no. uh, I started going to Valley Life Center when um, it was 1990. Ira and Cynthia weren't even married yet. They were engaged, and uh, they got married that November. So I feel like this is my second home here at the Adventure because the, uh, the OG team, the original team that came out, are some of my lifetime best friends. Um, all their children were very young uh, when they moved out here, and uh, it's been a privilege of mine to come out and see them grow and go to all their weddings. And So I'm very happy to be here. It's been a very good weekend. My ladies that were here this weekend, we had a good time. Yes, we did. We have our secret green bracelets on, um, which I just love it. I'm going to wear this all the time. And on the bracelet, it says he makes all things new, which was the theme for our uh, seminar this weekend. But I want to further that. I believe it's the theme for this church. Um, and I want to start with prayer. <laughs> Let's do that just so I can, my heart is just like bursting right now. So I just want to calm myself and ask the Lord to, to come and be with us this morning, to continue to be with us. So Lord, we just thank you so much. I know your Holy Spirit is already present with us, and I pray for hearts to be changed today, Lord, for you to minister to every need that is in this room, because only you can do that. And no matter what words are written in my notes or rolling around in my head, that your words and your heart would come through, Lord Jesus. I just thank you that you're here with us today. You are God, Emmanuel, in Jesus' name, amen. And as I was reading the scripture this weekend, uh, when I first started to read it, the scripture that we had for the seminar, it really dawned on me that really in my heart that this is a scripture for the adventure. It's Isaiah 61, and in my Bible, the title says, The Year of the Lord's Favor. And I believe that that's what God has, is you're entering into the year of the Lord's favor. And it says here that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives. You know what? I'm going to start over. I want to read this as corporate. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on you, is on all of you, because the Lord has appointed you, has appointed all of you, to preach good news to the poor. He has sent us to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom for the captives, to release 
from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for, all, for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And you will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And I believe that is the word of the Lord for this church, for your, the season that you are entering into. I titled my story, uh, Beauty for Ashes. This scripture has spoken to me many times. And I hold on to that hope and promise that God has in here that says he will give us beauty for the ashes of our lives. For all those areas, for those broken dreams, for those unmet expectations, for the way that you thought things were going to be and it didn't quite turn out that way, those are the ashes. And God is saying, when you give those over to me as an offering, because I think oftentimes when we think of offering, we think, well, it's the very best. It's, it's me all looking good. It's like it's everything is an offering unto him. And when we give those ashes, his promise is that he will give us a crown of beauty for that. He makes that exchange. And so I want to encourage you as you go through this season of, of mourning, and you will do it individually, and you will do it corporately, that you understand that, there, that God has this waiting for, it, for you all. And I want to also encourage you to be respectful of one another, of where each person is, with this process and that you would come together as I've seen you come together. When I came out for the service, I was blown completely away. I'm very familiar with your community, but I've never seen a community pull together like you all did. And it was beautiful and it was wonderful. And I encourage you to continue in that as you enter into this new season. And God does have a new season. His promise is in Isaiah 43. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. When it says to me, forget the former things, it's like, let's not keep living in the past of past glories or, wow, that was so good back then. Let's perceive what God has for us. I think we often are not perceiving it. That's why that particular point i believe has an exclamation point see i'm doing a new thing look and see yes we look at our past we learn from it and we remember it but we don't dwell on it or live there we want to move forward in what god has for us and god is all about making a new thing even in the midst of our trials and difficulties and circumstances that are way beyond our control god is always at work God is really about two things. He's about relationship and redemption. He created us to have relationship with us. And when that relationship was broken, he immediately came in with redemption. And that is what he continues to do. He brought in the redemption so we could have unbroken relationship with him once again through what Jesus did on the cross. We have that unbroken relationship with him when we have Jesus. And redemption, he continually seeks to redeem not just us, but the things that come into our lives that happen to us and around us. His heart is to redeem. And I'm going to tell you my story today, and then we're going to go through. I titled this um, today, not Beauty for Ashes, but A Prayer of Promise. 
and we're going to go through Psalm 23. It's a psalm that I think kind of gets glossed over quite a bit because, oh, Psalm 23, everybody knows that. And it's usually read at funerals, even for people who don't know the Lord. That's the one that's chosen. But I want to look at it today as a prayer of promise, the promises that are in that prayer for when hard times hit our life, what God promises that he will do for us. And so my story begins uh, in 1992. So I'd been attending church at Valley Life for two years. I was a single woman in San Jose and uh, had a great career. I was a manager for The Limited. It's a women's clothing store. And I was having a great career. I had started working for them in Denver. Uh, I grew up in Colorado. Broncos. Okay, thank you. I know I have kindred spirits here in the great state of Utah. Um, See? So I was living my dream. I was, had just been promoted to my dream job, and that was running the crown jewel of our region store, and that was the Stanford, uh, California store. Uh, I, at the time, I was running the store at Valley Fair, which was another large store, but I, even when I started in Colorado, it was like, no, I totally want Stanford, and I had finally achieved that goal. And so on this night, on March 10th in 1992, I was leaving work. It was about 6.30 at night. And as I got in my car, I put all my things down, and I was going to the singles meeting that night, so I was putting on a little lipstick. And uh, ladies, don't do that. Get in your car, lock your doors, start the car, and go. But I didn't do that that night, and I'm sitting there, and my car door swung open. And I thought, this must be my coworker who I just left. But instead, as I looked over, I was met with the barrel of a gun and a young man telling me to get in the back seat of my car. And as I did that, there was another young man that came on the passenger side to get in that side. And they are now in the front seat of my car, and I am in the back seat of my car. And in that moment, I'm feeling lots of different things. Um, At that time, Law & Order was one of my favorite shows. It no longer is. Uh, once you've lived Law and Order, it's no fun to watch anymore. But that was a thought. I'm like, I can't believe this is happening to me. This only happens like on TV, on Law and Order. But honestly, the overarching thing that I felt was the presence of God. In complete and utter terror of what I was currently experiencing, the peace that surpasses all understanding was surrounding me. And I knew that God was with me. It's very strange because it's like, oh, but God, I'm so afraid. And, oh, you're with me. So they were rifling through my purse looking for money, which I had a dollar. And so they decided, yeah, that wasn't helpful for them. Um, they decided in that moment that they're going to take me. So they drive my car, drive us across the street to a strip mall where there was a, another gentleman waiting. I did that this weekend too. Why do I say gentleman? <laughs> There was another guy waiting uh, in the car that they had stolen, and he kind of freaked out. He's like, well, well wait a minute. Who, what are you doing? Who is she? Because their plan was not to, for a kidnapping. Their plan was to get money. They were trying to score a drug deal, and so they're actually these two um, were from the two original, Eddie and Ricky. Eddie was 18, and Ricky was 14. 
and they were from a gang up in Sacramento. And so they had come down to San Jose to see if they could get some money so they could score a drug deal in Oakland. And Thomas, who was driving the car at this time, was actually 28, uh, my age, and he was just a transient. He didn't know these two. They just somehow hooked up, and he decided he wanted to be a part of this deal. So they're like, well, this is the plan now. She's coming with us. So we get into their car, and we start motoring up uh, the highway, 880. And, you know, I just want to encourage you guys. You do have a great community, all right? And, and so, did, so do we in, in California. And, again, I had been there for two years, and I served in children's ministries because, of course, Ira got me pretty much the first few weeks that I was there. And, you know, when Ira calls, you, you serve. So I was in children's ministries, and uh, I was in a home group. But I would say that people knew more of me than they knew me. And so, honestly, my first thought was, okay, if, how am I going to get away? And if I get away, who's going to come get me? I, I don't want anybody here to ever have that thought. We should be so connected with one another and be willing to be honest and open with one another and deep with one another that there would be no question who would come to get you. And I want to encourage that. If you've been kind of sitting on the edge, kind of coming and going and that you just get in and get deep and be a part of this community. So we went into the town of um, Newark to the mall there, the New Park Mall. They used my ATM card, uh, drew out money from my ATM card. We went through a Burger King drive through and we um, went to a liquor store. Now, it's at this time, they had me laying down in the backseat of the car, that people will often have some opinions like, well, or ask me questions like, well, why didn't you do, or if that were me, I would have done this. And I'm like, you know, the next time you're at the business end of a gun, you can totally do whatever it is that you want to do. But for me, I was doing what I thought was going to save my life. So let's not be those people, shall we? Because <laughs> it's easy to sit in our comfortable chairs and go, well, I wonder why she didn't do that, or how come that would it? Hmm. I was doing whatever, whatever I thought was necessary to stay alive. So at this point, they changed drivers. And, uh, well, before that, before we changed drivers, um, Thomas asked me as we were going up the highway, he said, you know, you're really calm. How can you be so calm? And I'm like, weird question. I'm like, well, I- I'm praying. He's like, oh, really? Are you a Christian? Um, like, Yes, uh, yeah, I am. He's like, that's great. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I understand what you're saying, but quite honestly, I don't see the benefit of being a Christian right now. <laughs> I get what you're saying, but mm, not really. And I thought, that is like the weirdest question. <laughs> Never seen that on Law & Order. <laughs> Very weird question. So I'm like, okay. So we're, they changed drivers, and now Thomas is back with me. And again continuing I had a little cross necklace on and he's like oh it's so good you know you're the Lord's got you the Lord I'm like okay so as we're going getting closer to Oakland unless if you're not familiar with Northern California uh, Oakland is probably 45 minutes to an hour away from San Jose Um, it's part of what we call the Bay Area Um, but it's not the crown jewel of the Bay Area. Um, there are some, what was that? 
Yeah, not quite. No. Now, there are some parts of it that are nice, um, but not, definitely not the area we were going to. Most of Oakland is considered the inner city, and it's, it's yeah, not someplace you want to be. Um, at this point, we're getting close to 10, 11 o'clock at night. It's not someplace you want to be uh, that late at night. So um, at this point, I'm just starting to really panic, and I start pleading for my life. And like, come on, guys, you know, just, you've got my ATM card, you just let me go. And Ricky, the 14-year-old, turned around and looked at me and he said, we're not going to let you go. You can identify us. And they began to discuss what was going to happen. And it was like, nope, they're going to get to this hotel and they were going to rape and kill me. And that, that was the plan. Um, I was sexually assaulted. Fortunately, it wasn't to that extent. I thank God for that every day. But uh, they let me know that this is the way what was going to happen. And so for me, I was like, oh, okay. So this is where I'm going to enter into my eternity. And I just began to pray. And it was this most incredible feeling. Because as a Christian, I understand and I understood the truth of the gospel that as because Jesus is my Lord and Savior, that when I die... I will live with him forever in, etern- you know, in eternity, in, in paradise forever. So I understood that, right? We get that. We're like, oh, this is great. But here, it was like right here. If there's a line, I was ready to cross it. And it was the most incredible feeling ever to realize, you know what? I'm in a win-win situation right now. I really want to live Like, more than anything, I was young, and I was single, and I wanted to be married, and I wanted to have kids, and I wanted to have a great, long life. So if I win, or excuse me, if I live, I win. But because Jesus is my Lord and Savior, if I die tonight, I win, because I then enter into my eternity with him. And again, the most incredible sense of peace came over me. And that experience right there alone changed my life forever. I don't have that fear. I don't fear death. I don't want to die, but I don't fear it because I know what's waiting for me on the other side. And I know my brother and good friend Eric felt the exact same way. And I can't wait to see him again when it's my turn to enter into paradise. So we got to the hotel, uh, one of those places, if you've got an hour, this is the hotel for you. So it's run down, uh, so we pull in, and I know you'll find it shocking, I was the only one with a valid ID. And so they said, you need to go rent the room, and so they sent Thomas and I to rent the room. Now, they didn't have an office or a lobby, it was like your sound booth back there, just a little cut out where people would go and pay their money to rent the room. So we're standing there, basically the sidewalk's right here, and I've got my back to the car, and I'm just standing there. And all of a sudden, Thomas got very nervous. And he's like, look, there's some people coming behind us. I want you to, to let them go ahead of us. I'm like, okay. So they come ahead of us, and he grabs me and pulls me onto the sidewalk. And we start to leave. And I'm like, what, what are you doing? What's going on? And he's like, I don't, I don't want to get arrested. 
I'm like, what? And I turn around, and I happen to see behind the car we just got out of is an unmarked police car with the, you know, the big side lights on there and two officers on either side of the car dealing with the two guys. Now, they didn't know about me. The police did not know about me. They didn't see all of that. They only had them. Uh, what's interesting, um, there was a lot of confusion with the Oakland police. They're very busy. And uh, they, later, when they were trying to put all the pieces together, they were like, we never had a car in that area that night. And I'm like, hmm. I've always wondered. I wonder if that was angels. You know? I mean, obviously, they ended up at the police station. Uh, they were both arrested because they both had guns. Uh, so they were arrested... Again, they didn't know about me, so they, they booked and released Eddie because he was 18, and they booked and kept Ricky because he was a juvenile. So here Thomas and I are on the streets of Oakland. Uh, he's not from the area. I don't know the area, so we're, we're standing there. We're going to cross the street. So I figured I had nothing to lose at this point, and I said, you know, you've been asking me about my faith all night. What's up with that? And he's like, oh, well, actually, I grew up in the church. He's like, my mom's a pastor back in Ohio. Now, I had a very ungodly and Christian-like thought, and it was, I think you're a little backslidden right now. Just, just a thought. I, it's like, okay, still very strange. So he's like, well, you know, we really got to get you out of here. And I'm like, well, I'm glad you thought about that now. So we walk across the street, and there's a liquor store. And we go into the liquor store, and this is an area where there are prostitutes and drug dealers and, you know, vagrants, and they're used to all sorts of people coming in. And again, we're heading at about 11 o'clock at night or so now. So they don't... I needed a bathroom and a phone, and they would not let us use either. So right next door to the liquor store is a church, little storefront church, and it's called the Temple of Prayer and Deliverance Church. And I said, I need both of those right now. We're going in here. Need some prayer, and I'd love to be delivered right now. So we see if anybody's here. So we walk in, we open the door, and the church, actually there's several people in there, but they're all women and children, and they had just had their, their Bible study for the night. It was a Tuesday night Bible study. And they're also used to people wandering in. They were much more welcoming than the liquor store. And they're like, yes, come on in, you know, well, come on in. And I said, you know, I just need to go to the bathroom. So I left. A lady showed me where the bathroom was. And I got in there, and I just broke down. I just started sobbing. And she was like, are you okay? And I'm like, no. And all I could think to say was, I just need Jesus. I just need Jesus. And she's like, well, you're in the right place. You know, we're, we're going to help you. So I get out of the bathroom. I walk into the sanctuary. And here's what I walk into. Thomas is now on his knees with his hands in the air. And the pastor is praying for him. So the deliverance and prayer I was looking for is now with my kidnapper. And I'm like, really? <laughs> so, I, and what was really amazing was that this pastor, Pastor Bertha May, bless her, she was praying for him, and she was operating in the spiritual gift of word of knowledge. 
This woman knew things about him, was praying things over him that only the Holy Spirit could have revealed to her at that time. She was praying about his mom, and she was praying about where he was. And I know there was no time for him to tell the story. This was totally God. So I knew at this moment, okay, I'm good. He's taken care of. So I pulled some ladies aside, and I said, look, I'm not with this guy. This is what happened tonight. And they're like, well, does he have a gun? I'm like, I don't know. The other two had guns. And honest, I, as God is my witness. He reaches into his jacket and he pulls out a pack of cigarettes, and like throws them to the ground, and like he's delivered from smoking just <laughs> right at that moment. Now, seriously, you know, it is the strangest story, but let's be honest. Could anybody make this up? No. Nobody, this is like, I, it is exactly how it happened, but imagine what it was like for me having to tell the police <laughs> this story and everybody else, like, really? It's like, no, this is exactly what happened. And so I knew at that point I, I was safe. And so they, they did have a phone. They had told me earlier that they didn't have a phone because they're trying to protect themselves, and I understand. So I went to the phone. You know, we didn't have cell phones back then. I know some of you millennial people are back there. Well, why didn't you just text somebody? <laughs> because my cell phone would have been, you know, connected to my car <laughs> and like a shoe. I didn't have that option. So I went to the landline, and I called my friend uh, Jeff, who was the he and his wife, were the um, leaders of our singles group. So obviously I had not shown up that night, so I called him and I said, you know, hey, Jeff, this is Kim. He's like, hey, how are you? You know, I missed you tonight. And I'm like, I, I, actually, I'm not very good. Yeah, Jeff, I've been kidnapped. And he's like, yeah, right? And you know how you guys say, here's a little, just a little side note from me. Do you sometimes do like, oh, we're going to kidnap so-and-so for their birthday. It'll be so fun. Not really. <laughs> Don't ever do that for my birthday. I will not find it fun. <laughs> so he just thought, you know, who says that? You don't get that call. So he, and I said, no, Jeff, seriously, this is where I am and I, you know, I need help. So he talked to the pastor. He got the address uh, to where it was. And uh, he said, you know, we're, we're coming to get you. And I, I didn't know who the were were until later. Um, he immediately got off the phone. He actually did call the Oakland Police Department. Uh, Jeff did not know I was still with one of the men. So when he called the Oakland Police Department, he said, our friend has been abducted from San Jose, and she is now in Oakland. She's in your town. Can, this is the address. Can you go and get her? The answer was no. They deny that. But I'm like, I know Jeff wouldn't have lied. They're like, we're, we don't have that kind of manpower to go and, and do that. And he said, okay, well, you know, this is the address. We're going to go get her. What, you know, what's the, the, the neighborhood like? He goes, well, it's not Lebanon, but you probably should be careful. That was the instruction that they had. So he called uh, Pastor Stewart. He was my pastor. He called Stewart. He called uh, Eric and Jody. He called the poppers. Uh, some of them got together to start to pray. And then they called my good friend, um, Jeff Cooper. Jeff Cooper, uh, he's also passed away. I'm so sad. But he uh, was 6'5". Um, 
about 400 pounds, worked as a bouncer, and he used to like to tell people we were twins. He just thought that was funny, you know, uh, 400 pounds, and he was African-American, so that was very funny to him to say, hey, this is my twin sister, Kim. It's like, all right, Jeff. So he, they said, they knew that he knew, you know, he worked as a bouncer. It's like, we need a big guy. You guys, I know Stuart will probably hear this, but you saw Pastor Stuart. <laughs> this little guy. <laughs> and so was, it, so was the other Jeff. So I think they thought, hey, we need some, we need a big guy to come and help us. So they got off the phone with Jeff Cooper and he, he told me later, he said, Kim, you know, I, I have a gun collection. And he said, when I got off the phone with Jeff, I started to pack some heat to come get you. And the Lord spoke to him and said, Jeff, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. She's safe. I just want you to go get her. So he took the guns out, and they proceeded to come and get me. So as I'm waiting, the pastor is like, so did I finish my sermon on Sunday? I can do that right now. And she, we had a little worship time on the organ, and she, I don't know what she talked about. I just sat there, and seriously, right next to Thomas, we're just kind of sitting there, And the last thing that I said to him was, you know, I don't believe in coincidences and I believe God uses everything that comes into our life and he obviously wants you back. And I think, you you know, you should stop running. You should just go back to the Lord. That was it. And we just sat there. And these women, God bless them. Again, we're not in a safe part of town. And one woman, I'll have this burned in my memory. She just kept opening the door and seeing, were my friends here yet? What, what, what does their car look like? What do they look like? And they finally got there. And I'll never forget when the door opened and there was Stuart Nice and Jeff, my, the two Jeffs and these people who, like I said, I knew they knew me, but really risked their life. They told me later, I found out recently, actually, they ran every red light in Oakland because Jeff Cooper was like, we are not stopping. He goes, we cannot stop. You know, we'll be, you know, it's like we ran every red light. I'm like, wow. So I get in the van. Thomas ran. Um, He actually ended up, I'm going to button this up a little bit. Um, He actually ended up going back to Ohio. Um, He was on the run for a while. They didn't know where he was. He uh, unfortunately was arrested again, and this time it was on a rape charge. Um, He was acquitted of that, and then they extradited him back to San Jose, um, he, he served, I think, a nine-year sentence. Um, Eddie is still in prison. He got life plus 32 years. Um, he's up for parole in about five years. Uh, so he spent more time in prison than he has out, which is unfortunate. And Ricky, um, r- juveniles never serve their full sentence, and so he served about six or seven years um, and is released. I do not know where he is. Um, I did go to several parole hearings with Ricky, um, had the opportunity to forgive him to his, to his face. Um, and the last parole hearing I attended was with my fiance, my now husband. And I told the parole board, I won't be back because I feel it, it is finished for me. I've, I've said my piece, I'm at peace and I'm entering into a new life with, you know, my husband. Um, if I wanted to find out where they were, I could, but it is finished. I am done. And so I entered into a year of intense healing, intense struggle with the Lord. I am forever grateful 
for my friends, for the Van Rees, for the Calmers, for the Poppers, the Carters, the lead, everybody who was involved in that and how they just shepherded me through that time. And I want to talk about that now, that when things like this happen in our life, it's easy for uh, outside people and even ourselves to say, where was God? Where was God? He was right there the whole time. He was with me. And he has this promise for us in Psalm 23. Psalm 23 tells us where God is. It says, this is a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is God's promise for us. And when we find ourselves in tough times, it's good for us to remember a few things. First of all, my thinking of like, this doesn't happen to Christians. Really? You might want to read your Bible again because Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have many troubles. But I have come to overcome the world. Right? We are going to have troubles because this is a broken, fallen, sinful, evil world. And that mess crashes into our comfortable Christianity all the time. So the presence of trouble is not the absence of God. He neither sleeps nor slumbers, and nothing was surprising. He was like, oh, oh, how'd she end up in the backseat of that car? Oh, God. He's well aware. And yes, they're allowed to happen because this world is not the world we belong to. But he's in complete control. And again, he's about relationship and redemption. And immediately, I just picture it. Just go with me on this. No theological thing here. But just, I picture, I am in the backseat of that car. And I picture God at work immediately with the redemption story. What what am I going to do with this? That was his immediate thought. And so when I look at Psalm 23, and when I'm going through a hard time, I look to find the answer of where he is. It says he leads me. And the thing about leading is that that means somebody's going before you. And so when I think of somebody leading me, I think, you know, when I entered into that that year, my life was completely obliterated. Now, I like the story of the, the parable of the wise builder and the foolish builder. So the wise builder builds their house upon the rock, which we know the rock is Jesus. And then when the rains come, the house, you know, stands firm. For me, I take a little liberty. Yes, Jesus was my rock, but my house was completely washed away. And I had nothing left but my foundation. But that's okay. 
And so Jesus was needing to rebuild. But I didn't know how to walk in that because the life that I had planned for myself was now no longer. And like all of you are mourning right now with the loss of Eric, I was mourning the loss of, the li- of my life as the way that I knew it. And I didn't know how to walk. It says that he's leading me. Like, come on, let's go. And that's what we can do for each other. Immediately as I got the word of Eric, I texted Jody and I said a few things. But one of them was, I want to walk with you on this path. And she texted back, I don't know how. And I said, I don't either. But let's do this together. And so the Lord leads us when we feel lost. He's right there to lead us. He restores me. When I'm broken, he restores us. I think, when I think of restoration, I think of my dining room table, which is in desperate need of restoration. I loved the table when we bought it. It's still quite nice, and I know the you know, beat-up furniture look is very popular. But um, it needs to be restored. And I think, though, about the process of that, like what I'm going to have to do first, which is strip away, right? Have to strip away, and then you're going to restain it. But the reality is, it's not, you know, restoration, sometimes I think we have this idea that I'm going to go back to the way that I was before, but that's not what restoration is. It's like restoring us to wholeness, but it's, it's a whole new. I mean, God wants us to be more like him. Now, here's some more things we can, you, if you want to argue about with me later, we can. I do not believe that God is up there sending lightning bolts and causing these things to happen. They are allowed to happen. And God, because it's like, my thought was, at first was like, wow, I must have been so off of God's plan that he had this happen. He caused this to happen so I would get back on the right path. Wow. I don't think that's the God that we serve. But he does use that. He did use that. He's used this event in my life to mold me and to shape me. And there was some stripping And then he has used it to restore me. So these things that come crashing into our life, God is fully aware. But he is, you know, Joseph pretty much said what I think is God's heart when he said to his brothers, what you intended for evil, God intended for good and for the saving of many lives. That's what God did with my story. He said to the enemy, what you intended for evil, I intend for good. And many lives are going to be saved through that. And that is what has happened. And that's when he restores us. We're not the same. We're better. And we're more like him. Next, it says that he, he guides me. And I love this because I feel like this psalm is like it's, we're progressing I love things that are linear. And so we're like going from one thing to the next. So he's been leading us. He's restoring us. And now he's guiding us. It's like when you teach your child to ride a bike, right? You're behind him like, come on, you can do it. You can do it. That's how I picture God when he's in, in the guiding stage. Still right there with us, 
but now we're, we're walking a little bit better. We're becoming a little bit more sure of, of this new life that we have. In Isaiah 30, 21, it says, Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. And so he leads us. He restores us. He's guiding us. And most importantly, this word says, He is with me. We're never alone. Of all those names, I liked that last song too. That was an amazing song. Of all the names of God that came up, my favorite is Emmanuel. God with us. God is his, from the garden to now, his constant heart is for us and to redeem our relationships and to redeem and to be with us. He doesn't want to be separated from us. And it's, in Romans it says nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. So he is always with us. I want to encourage you, if you're not feeling his presence, say this gently, he's not the one that moved. He is ever present. And you just have to call on his name, and he is there. He was in the back seat of that car with me. He walked that entire year with me. He basically walked me through this psalm until I was whole again. And able to, to not walk on my own. You know what I mean when I say that. <sighs> he comforts me. In my grief. And in my hard times. He is here and has been here with all of you. Comforting you through this hard time that you have been not only dealing with corporately as a church. But individually as people who loved Eric. But God brings comfort. And I pray that that comfort is coming through you comforting each other. And you know what's... Here, let me make it really easy because we complicate things so much. Just weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. Those are Jesus' words. I had to, uh, my kid's school two years ago, there was a suicide, and it was actually the first one. Uh, it's a small Christian school in the 25 years of the school that they ever had to deal with the situation. And he was in, uh, was friends with everybody, he's a great kid, and a lot, he was friends with a lot of girls. And so the vice principal called me and said, we are going to need a female pastor here today. Can you come and be part of that process? I'm like, I'm there. Yeah, Totally. But I'm driving there, and I'm like, oh, my God, what am I going to say to these high school kids? Well, I, and God said a couple of things. Weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn. He said, look, Kim, all I'm asking you to do is to be like the moon, because the moon has no light of its own. The moon only reflects the light of the sun. And I want you to go there today and reflect the light of my son. And that's all I want you to do. And seriously, the only thing I did all day was hug people, arm around people, and hand Kleenex out. 
And I've had lots of the girls, I see them on campus, they're like, thank you so much, that meant so much. And I, I did nothing. So I'm not asking you to have the answer. Jesus is not asking you to have the answer. He's asking you just to be there for one another and to comfort one another as you go through this. He prepares a table for me, and it's not just any table. It's in the presence of my enemies. And I don't think this is a gloating thing like, <laughs> no, I feel like this is God saying, here's the table for you to feast at, and I'm going to take care of your enemies. As our friend would say, God's got this. As Eric would say, he will take care of our enemies. Our position in this is to forgive and leave the people to him. Because that's his job, not ours. We are called to forgive as we have been forgiven. And know that God's justice is way better than ours could ever be. So know that he has that table prepared for you. And I think for me too, the, you know, the trial, I feel like God was just like, here's this table I have for you, Kim, and I'm going to take care of the rest. When I had to go to trial with Eddie, um, it's a very scary thing. And they were taking me into the courtroom uh, the day before, just so I could get a lay of the land. And, and uh, this is the only vision I've, I've ever had. They were saying, here's the witness stand. And just a few days before, I had read in the Psalms that, uh, where it says, may integrity and uprightness be your rear guard. And I saw behind the witness stand where I would be telling my story to very large angels with their arms crossed like this. And God said, that one's integrity, and that one's uprightness. And justice was served. Let's just say that. So I do know that God is going to take care. He's going to take care of those things. And then our pro- the promise is his goodness and love follow me, which tells me he pursues me. God, again... That's the whole thing. He pursues us. He wants us. He wants you. He's not looking for what you can do for him. God doesn't need us to do anything for him. He just wants you. He just loves you. He wants to be with you. That's the bottom line, is that he is pursuing you. And we have the promise that we will dwell with him forever. And our forever, it's now. It's not just the forever when we go to heaven. Jesus wants to be with us now and wants us to dwell with him forever now. So how do we walk in this promise? First of all, get to know Christ. Get to know Jesus. Not the picture that we see on walls or what you think that he is, but the person and the man of Jesus Christ. Because it's only in his presence that our lives will be changed. I think about um, a little boy at our school. Stuart may have mentioned uh, the young mother that passed away at our school um, just a few weeks ago. And she left a seven-year-old and a four-year-old little boy. And I, have, I do preschool chapel um, at the school. So I, I have the four-year-old. Every Wednesday I'm with little Julian. And I've been keeping up with his teachers, like, how is Julian doing? 
because uh, he looks fine at, at chapel. They all love chapel. Everybody loves a puppet. Um, I could have brought the puppets today, but I didn't. So they said, you know, it's interesting. You know, they're not sure if he really knows, but what he keeps saying is like, my mommy's in heaven. And I was struck by that. I immediately, what came to my heart was where Jesus said, he wants us to have faith like a child. Because Julian only knows one thing, and that's that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And Julian believes it, and he walks in it. And you can see in this little tiny boy that assurance of what knowing Jesus means. And Jesus wants us to have that kind of faith. We get older, we get skeptical, we get, you know, a little hardened. And that is why I believe Jesus left that in the Bible, is to remind us to have faith like a child. So get to know that Jesus, the one that loves you so, because he's the only one that can get you through the hard times. He it was a man that he was acquainted with suffering and sorrow. He knows more than anybody else what you're going through. And he will see you through it. And you get to know him by being in his word. And I know Jody has shared with you that that is what, the bread of life is what is sustaining her right now. And all the years of investment of reading it and studying it and and living it, not just being a Bible scholar, I'm not talking about that, but looking at this as the living document that it is, the love letter that God left for us, knowing that we would forget who we are and who he is. He left the written word. And this is where we find him. And this is where we find our worth and who we are. It's stated right here. So you, I encourage you to spend time in his word so that you can draw upon it. It was, I can so relate to Jody because that was everything for me. That whole year I spent just buried in God's word and allowing him to speak to me. And lastly, I've, I've really kind of already touched on this, but get to know his people. If you're on the fringe right now, come into the fold. Be gracious with one another. Take care of one another. I've seen you do that. I've seen you band together. And we see that a lot in crisis, right? But I'm talking on the day-to-day when things settle down and we get back to what we call regular life, that we would still be that for one another. The Bible says it's not good for man to be alone, and he's not just talking about marriage. We are built to be in relationship with him and with one another to help each other through times like this. And I just want to leave you with two things. I also, here, you can argue with me later, I also don't believe... Uh, everything happens for a reason. I do believe, though, God brings reason and purpose to everything that happens. That's what I believe. And this thought came to me during that year as I was having a very intense, well, it wasn't a very quiet time. I was pretty much railing against the Lord 
with the Lord. Let's say that. Not against him, but with him. Just, oh, God, why? Why did this have to happen to me? And he very sweetly and lovingly dropped a word into my heart. Manure. (laughs) Is that you, Lord? (laughs) Manure. Hmm. He's like, you know what it is. So I'm like, yes, I'm familiar. And he's like, but what do people use manure for? He's like, you know, landscapers and gardeners, they put it in their garden. They put it on their lawn and they work it into the soil. And out of that grows things of great beauty. And he said, Kim, that's what I do for you when life dumps manure on you. And it will. That when you give it to me and allow me to work it into the soil of your heart, things of great beauty will come from that. And that is what he has continued to do all these 24 years, one thing after another. But the most amazing thing for me is the fact that my 74-year-old grandmother accepted Christ after I told her what had happened to me. We waited a year to tell my grandmother. My family is in Colorado Springs. And she was not well. And so I told my dad, I'm like, I can't tell her because I'm afraid it would, you know, like, yeah, I just like, I can't do it. I ha- and I have to see her face to face. So I was able to go out the next year and I sat with her and I told her and we talked and we cried. She asked a few questions. I left. I came back the next day and we talked and we cried she asked one question she said I just need to know you are still willing to serve this God that allowed this to happen to you and I said yes I am and she said then I want to know that God and let me tell you I loved my grandmother, her name was Esther Louise, but we called her Dee Dee. I don't know why, but Dee Dee was a piece of work. And I'm a chip off of her block. I'm actually proud to be, but she was mouthy and loud and a very strong woman, strong businesswoman, just spoke her mind. Like, you know, she would have never qualified anything, you know, like I was, I've been doing. She just would have said it out there. But the last person in my family, I would have guessed that would say, I want to accept Christ. And so I had the privilege of leading her to Christ in that moment. So out of this very ugly situation that seemingly has no purpose and no reason, suddenly changed the eternity of my grandmother. And now I will see her again. So I stand here today a victor, not a victim, and not for anything that I have done, but because of Jesus Christ. And I can honestly tell you, I would never, ever want to go through that again, but I can also honestly tell you, I would not take that event out of my life if you asked me that it could be done. And I want that to be for all of us, that we... I know I don't want to speak flippantly or just to be like, I know that there are some very hard things that people are going through here right now, but I want to give you that hope 
as Ira said, that you can see the promised land and the other side to your suffering. There is great promise that God has for you in and through that situation. And so I just want to close close us in prayer today and say, Jesus, we thank you that you are not a God that is far off, but that you are Emmanuel and that you are God with us. And Lord, I know your Holy Spirit has been at work and I just want to pray right now for two people, two kinds of people. Lord, for those of you that are here this morning that have never said yes to Jesus, that you've never said, come into my heart and my life, Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity right now to make the best decision you will ever make in your life is to say yes to Jesus and all the promises that he has for you. And with all of our eyes closed and all of our heads bowed, if that's you, I want to encourage you to raise that hand and just to say, that's me. That's what I want. I want the hope and the peace that Jesus brings. That you would just in this quiet moment be doing that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. And for those of us that know him as our Lord and Savior, I just want to pray. There are some of us today that feel far off, that feel lost, that feel broken. That you would just right now feel the presence of the God of the universe. That you would feel the peace that surpasses all understanding. That he's right with you and has never left your side. And he sees you. He is the God who sees you. He sees you in your brokenness. He sees you in your grief. He sees you in your turmoil. And he says, come to me, all you who are burdened, and I will give you rest. That you would come to him now and allow him to give you that rest. We thank you, Jesus, for just who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.